It's November 4th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. We're going to hear from David Aquino from Blue Planet Foundation to talk about the Student Energy Summit. Then we have Representative Takashi Ono here to tell us about the Hawaii Next 50 contest. And finally, for the remainder of the hour, we'll talk to Luke Tucker, Bianca Tobolino and Jonathan Grady about Accelerate UH and being a part of the latest cohort. As always, we're open to your thoughts or questions, so please be ready to call in or tweet after the break. As we get started, though, we wanted to spend a couple of minutes to talk about the attempt at the first orbital launch from Hawaii yesterday evening, the Super Stripey rocket launched from the Pacific Missile Range Facility, a cooperative project including the University of Hawaii, but unfortunately it experienced an anomaly about an hour, uh, about a minute into the launch and was lost. Um, we were watching live. I think many any rocket geek was watching and was being watched across the country, although it was the middle of the night for other people. And certainly at first glance, it seems like a pretty large setback for what was a was a pretty good hope for the university and for Hawaii to kind of join the ranks of spacefaring states. Well, you know, I, we've been covering a lot of the uh, efforts that the university as well as the uh, community colleges have been involved in with building CubeSat and... and uh, Project Imua. You know, getting sort of a coordinated effort amongst the different campuses to look at different responsibilities that each one would hold. And, and I think uh, what we've noticed over the time that they've all been involved in is that uh, they worked out a lot of sort of inter-campus collaboration mm-hmm. and and as well as technical capability because the folks over at the uh, uh, Space Lab up at UH, I mean, they were doing a lot of work uh, just with, you know, the the um, hardware and, and building their CubeSats. So I think there was a lot of work that went into this. And obviously, if it's, it, it is disappointing that your experiment doesn't actually get fulfilled. But I think all the work that's been done is just testament to the fact that we've built some capacity. Right. Now, certainly it was uh, so far the U.S. Air Force has invested about $45 million into this uh, project. And the the idea is basically to do affordable space insertion launches to carry payloads Mm -hmm. because it can be very, very expensive to do that. And for them to be using Hawaii as the launching pad for that is fantastic. Now, most of the funding came from the U.S. Air Force. Of course, the University of Hawaii and students had developed HiakaSat, which was a special imager, and that was lost as well as 12 other little satellites from other universities. But I think uh, we can close by kind of reading the statement from the university because I think it's true. Because of this project, there is a new rocket launch pad and rail mm-hmm. launcher in place, and the, those assets performed well, and there are tracking stations in place at Kauai Community College and Honolulu Community College. They're already fielding requests for services from commercial agencies. And UH students at multiple campuses, including the community colleges, are currently working on payloads for future space launches. So Hawaii and the University of Hawaii are now considered players in the aerospace industry, and this launch is just the start of launches from the 50th Well, state. we'll definitely be uh, uh, following uh, this story and, of course, future launches and future work uh, in the whole satellite and CubeSat development over at UH. That's our beat. That's right. And, of course, now we want to welcome David Aquino, and he's from Blue Planet Foundation, and he's, he's here to tell us about the Student Energy Summit. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks for having me, Bert Brian. Good to have you. So the um, how many years has this uh, Student Energy Summit been going on? Um, this is actually the first annual Student Energy Summit that um, Blue Planet Foundation is putting on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're bringing together over 120 students from across the state. Um, we have all islands involved. And the students are coming together to talk about and discuss, you know, our, the most pressing energy issues facing Hawaii today. Um, and also to come up with, you know, some realistic solutions on how we're going to get to our 100% renewable energy goal that we most 
that we recently set. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first in the nation. You know, we're really excited about that goal. But now, you know, really getting the next generation who are going to be taking the reins of this goal in the next five to ten years and getting them, you know, thinking about the realistic solutions that we can put in place for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you guys prime the pump with these students? I mean, were they already sort of thinking about being a part of this energy summit? I mean, you know, being a part of a summit and talking about energy that you just don't walk into. Right. How did you prep these guys? So, you know, energy is becoming a, a really hot topic, I think, especially amongst students. A lot of teachers are starting to incorporate it into their lessons. Um, they're starting to apply STEM education to the clean energy world. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, it would be great to bring students together. Um, you know, to discuss, you know, and really apply their STEM knowledge to these topics of energy and really have it be place based, based in Hawaii. Um, and then another reason is that there's a lot of conferences like the Asia Pacific Clean Energy Conference and Clean Energy Day, but they're targeted more for, I think, business owners and more for the adults. But we really wanted to make something where the students could have their own space to really have conversations with their fellow students, um, you know, network with students from different backgrounds, different islands, different lifestyles, and really have them come together and, you know, talking about uh, clean energy specifically. And now that we have our 100% clean energy goal, it just makes so much sense that they're the ones having those discussions. Yeah, I, I guess the, the point I was trying to make, though, is that there's a lot of technology, right. complexities, there's processes, there's big companies, all involved with this whole clean energy objective. With a student coming into it, how are they brought to a level of awareness that they could you know, actually come up with some ideas that might impact you know, how we might proceed in the future? Um, I, th- I think you know, <clears throat> energy be- being such a hot topic is that you know, these students are hearing about it all the time. And they're going to be the ones kind of inheriting and taking the reins on, you know, what are the decisions we're going to make? What are the business decisions, political decisions? How are we going to get to 100% clean energy? So leading up to the conference, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a, um, a series of lessons for the students. They're going to be looking at energy efficiency. They're going to be looking at 100% clean energy. They're going to be looking at energy storage as kind of like three main topics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be, you know, learning watching, you know, YouTube videos on top, uh, on specifically on these subjects and, you know, getting one-page handouts and really learning about the topics before they come to the summit. And when they come to the summit, they'll be, you know, equipped with um, some knowledge of the topics, but then further expanding that by talking with their fellow students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, after they've, uh, as they participate in the summit, what do you see as kind of the, the ideal outcome of it? Certainly the networking is important for them to see that they have a role, as you say, they're going to inherit these decisions and be ready, perhaps more prepared to be part of policymaking and businesses and such that are working toward this future. But is there going to be an outcome in the sense that you will, I recall you had some success enlisting students in a previous legislative push to to get the bill passed, for example. Is there, conti- is there going to continue to be kind of that advocacy piece, perhaps, that these students will be recruited into as a result of the summit? Right. And we definitely do. Absolutely. We want these students to take what they learn at the summit, bring that back to their own islands, bring it back to their peers, you know, to their classrooms, and really kind of be those um, clean energy advocates um, within their own community. Uh, we want this, even though this is our first annual summit, we want it to be an annual thing. So, you know, maybe if there are some sophomores or juniors in the room, we want them to 
um, get their fellow classmates, you know, really pumped up about it, you know, tell them everything they learned and hopefully next year we can grow it, you know, have more students involved and really make it a legacy thing for the schools that, you know, really want to send students to this summit. So how, how are you finding, you said over 120 students, were they participants in a past project? I mean, did you did you have a mailing list of really brilliant, energy-oriented <laughs> yeah. students? Is it through the teachers? Right, where where right. was that connecting point? Right, so Blue Planet has always worked with schools. Um, a f- several years ago, we did a project called the CFL Better Bulb Blitz, and we were exchanging uh, CFL light bulbs for the old incandescents statewide. We worked with over 180 schools and community groups, exchanged over 300,000 light bulbs, really saving uh, residents, you know, $46 million over the lifetimes of those bulbs. But, you know, we were involved a lot with students. We're giving presentations on all islands. All island. So this is a way to kind of bring that mm. back together, bring those students back together, engage with those teachers that we worked on the projects with, and, uh, you know, really have one event where the students could come and really discuss, you know, everything they're learning about energy. What are their thoughts? What are their feelings? What do they want their future to look like? Mm-hmm. And I'll- so, yeah. I like how you say better ball blitz. I mean, I, I would be really That's challenged t- to say that twister. 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a statewide effort. Uh, you folks have representatives from all the islands. Is it public school and private school? I mean, how did the how did that mix turn out? Right. So we have students coming from every island, you know, Lanai High, Molokai High. We have students from Maui, Big Island, Kauai. Um, we have students from public charter schools, even some homeschool students heard mm-hmm. about it. And it was mainly through word of mouth. You know, we first reached out to the teachers and the green clubs and, you know, the science departments and said, hey, we have this summit coming up. Do you know any passionate students that are really into energy that would want to represent their school at the summit? Mm-hmm. And from mm-hmm. there, you know, we just had the application starting to come in. Um, and, you know, this year we're starting with 120, but we want to continue that and grow it year after year. Well, well, great. I want to ask, uh, we will share how someone else who might want to participate will participate in the uh, Student Energy Summit. But very quickly, you also have an, another event coming up. I got this neat email with a Back to the Future dashboard in it. What is that all about? Oh, yeah, we're having a, a event coming up. Um, it's a Back to, Back to the Future 1985-themed party. Um, it's going to be, you know, really laid back fun. We're going to have ping pong tournament, Tetris tournament. <laughs> it's going to be, um, it's going to be eighties themed party. Um, uh, but we really wanted the vision to be, you know, looking thirty years back. Right. You know, uh, look going back thirty years to look thirty years forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, we passed that one hundred percent clean energy goal. And you know, thirty years ago, you know, we may not have fathomed Hawaii being the first in the nation to do something like that. So going back thirty years to look thirty years forward. And that's right. just a, a yeah. Blue Planet Foundation. Party yeah, fundraiser. Yeah, that's a Blue Planet specific event um, slash fundraiser. Yeah. Um, All right. So good. if somebody wanted to have find more information on the Student Energy Summit or the Back to the Future '80s theme party, which sounds fun to me, <laughs> where can they go for more information? Right. So for the Back to the Future '80s party, go to blueplanetfoundation.org. Uh-huh. Um, there's an Eventbrite where you can sign up for the event. But more importantly, for the Student Energy Summit, you can go to studentenergysummit.org. You can find out you know the latest that's happening. Um, you can I think you can even reserve your spot for next year, um, but you can just find out more about what's happening with the summit. And also um, on Instagram, probably the easiest way to follow what's going on, the hashtag Student Energy Summit ah, okay. is what we're using. And actually students are posting pictures. Um, they have several assignments they have to complete before they come to I the see. summit. So it's a it's a picture posting assignment <laughs> where they post a picture and talk about you know what that means and it has something to do with energy, it has something to do with storage, it has something to do with energy efficiency. And um, so you can check out what's going on there and see how the students are getting engaged. I like it. Homework. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks David. Thanks, David, for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, uh, next up we have Representative Takashi Ono from the House of Representatives. Who's, he, he is on 
a bunch of committees, including education, tourism, economic development, and a whole bunch of others that I'm sure he will share with us. Uh, and, of course, he's here to tell us about a cool project called Hawaii's Next 50, which actually has some, I think, resonance with the uh, Energy Summit. But we want to welcome you, Takashi Ono, to uh, Bike Marks Cafe. Thanks so much, Bert and Ryan. Um, thrilled to be here. You know, a lot of folks compliment me that I have a, have a face for radio. And we do, too. Oh, to, that's uh, why we're we here. Make it happen. That's why we're here. <laughs> so we're all... <laughs> I'm a big fan of the show <laughs> and big fan of Hawaii Next 50 contest. Happy to be here to talk all about right. it. So tell us, uh, the uh, Hawaii Next 50, it also involves students. Uh, and has this been going on for a while? Or this is the second year. Second and it actually year. dovetails perfectly with what David was talking about mm-hmm. with the Energy Summit. It all started with Governor Arayoshi. During his time, he established a state plan looking forward into the future to where we're going to invest our resources and grow as a state. And he authored one of the books, and um, the book was about what Hawaii will look like in the next 50 years. We picked it up, um, a number of us in the House of Representatives, some of us with um, the Future Caucus and the AIO Foundation. And we started a contest where we asked students um, across the state um, a question about what the next 50 years will look like. This year, our question is, over the next 50 years, what can I do to help Hawaii reach its 100% renewable energy goal? We chose it because... Uh, last year, we did pass legislation that we would be 100% renewable by 2045 in 30 years. But, you know, on top of that, just like David said, a lot of these issues affect children. As you know, our classrooms are hot. We had record temperatures this last summer, and a lot of teachers and a lot of schools are concerned about the quality, um, the physical you know, condition of their classrooms. One of the big questions about how to move forward with this is not just buying air conditioning, but the other uh, component is how do we fund the electricity and utility costs. That's mm-hmm. kind of where these questions kind of come in. Where, If we're going to be renewable uh, in 30 years or the next 50 years, what can we all do to move toward that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is this, uh, will there be a specific event or, I mean, how would a student participate in uh, Hawaii's next 50? Good question. So it's open to students in grade 4 through 12, mm. and it's open to any student across the, uh, across the state, private or public. Um, there's a website, hawaiinext50.com. We'll go over that, but mm-hmm. they're going to submit either a written or a visual response to the question again over the next 50 years. What can I do to help Hawaii reach its 100% renewable energy goal? We'll select winners. Last year, we selected, um, I think, four, four, five, six winners. Uh, we had some from the neighbor islands. After the contest wrapped up in the spring, we flew them over to Honolulu. We had a presentation on the floor of the House of Representatives uh, for these winners, uh, Governor Ariyoshi was there as well. We all had lunch in the lieutenant governor's office. Uh, the parents, the students, the legislators came, talked about their ideas. Um, and I think the entries are also available online if you want to see previous entrance of mm. this contest. Mm-hmm. We're hoping that, you know, teachers or students who are listening are um, interested and can follow up. Uh, you know, I've heard great things about the bite marks bump. So I'm expecting oh, many, many, many big We hope that wasn't too overstated. <laughs> David and I, <laughs> so despite Mark's bump. You talked about uh, the, 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 the students kind of sharing that, that vision that they have. I like that it can be an illustration as well. When you say that it, you, know, you pick winners and, and such, I would imagine that there's an esteemed panel of judges then that are going to review these submissions. High praise. Uh, I'm one of the judges. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Maybe too high of a praise. But we use a number of private and public uh, individuals and leaders um, and we kind of whittle it down. I think last year we had over 450 entries, mm. and um, we had a you know an elementary and then a middle high school group. So we chose different uh, um, winners from the two, uh, but they were all really neat. And you know, 
there's nothing better, uh, like David knows with um, his work and you folks know, there's nothing better than getting to see some of the most brightest and motivated students in our state weigh in on an issue that they will live through. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm excited to see what kind of new technologies they dream up of that will occur in the next 50 years. 50 years ago from today, um, you know, no one would have thought about solar. No one would have thought about having a thousand songs in your pocket. No one would have thought about, <laughs> um, you know, all sorts of things. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what their ideas are. Now, are there any things that you could suggest uh, some participants, some contestants actually doing now to perhaps uh, prepare them for this contest? That's right. So over the website, there is a way where you can request this book, uh, Hawaii, the past 50 years, the next 50 years by Governor Ariyoshi. And um, we'll get those books to you to the class or to the teacher if you want to actually review kind mm -hmm. of the history behind this. Um, otherwise, you know, I think it's a great idea to, to uh, keep up with the news, to give it some thought and talk with your parents um, about what our energy future is going to look like in this state. 30 years is going to happen. It's an enormous goal. So any ambitious student or team of students perhaps could go to the Student Energy Summit. Very, yes. And, and process, and, and those process ideas. some ideas and get some really good <laughs> sort of innovative action going there, and perhaps call that together for part of the uh, submittal of the uh, Hawaii Next 50. I think you're onto something there, Bert. You're a smart one. I might even accept an application from you. Um, <laughs> I think I'm he a is a 12th grader. He's a 12th grader, the mind heart. of a 12th yes, grader. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, so I'm looking at the website now. It's pretty cool. You can even see the winners, the previous winners. Um, uh, where uh, is there a deadline in particular for this participation? There is. Thanks for asking. The deadline to submit is January 31st, 2016. Oh, okay. So we realized so we some, some time. Yep, some teachers are still requesting books, or they might build it into lesson plans before the end of the year, and that takes time. But hopefully, they can get it done before the end of the year, or right at the start of the new year, or over the Christmas break. Um, and get it ready. Well, you know, any, any conscientious student should probably be starting to look at this now because, you know, you got some holidays coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I mean, you know, by the time you get to New <laughs> Year's, it's like school is probably the last thing on your mind. So get started now, right? <laughs> so we got the uh, we got the websites. We'll be putting it up on the uh, uh, show notes Hawaii's later on. Hawaii'sNext50.com. Right. And anything else you want to share? I, that's it. Thanks, that's guys, for having us. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Representative we'll Ono, for joining us. And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Luke Tucker, Bianca Tobolino, and Jonathan Grady to learn about the latest Accelerate UH cohort. This is now the third cohort for the Accelerate UH program. How has it evolved? And, of course, what can we learn about this latest group of companies? We, of course, love your questions as well. You can join the conversation by calling 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio. We're monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm John DeRyder. 
author of Unveiling Reality. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about touching into what we are as deep beings. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Oh, ho Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And, of course, joining us today are Luke Tucker, Bianca Tubolino, and Jonathan Grady. And, of course, Luke is a venture associate over at Sultan Ventures, and he leads operations for Accelerate UH. Bianca, meanwhile, is a co-founder of Jet Set ESL. Jonathan, meanwhile, is the founder of DeSal Survival. Both companies are part of the latest Accelerate UH cohort. And, of course, how is the University of Hawaii helping to nurture these startups? And, of course, this is the third cohort, so we'd like to hear a little bit about how things have evolved and, of course, we'd love to hear your questions and comments, and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Luke, Bianca, and Jonathan, we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thank you, Bert. Now, Luke, we will start with you because uh, we've had you on before, but we've had you on primarily as a spokesperson for one of your previous companies, but... I understand that you're heavily involved in the day-to-day operations of uh, Accelerate UH, and yes, uh, we've you know we've had the Sultan brothers come on, we've had Mele come on, you know we've talked about the uh, cohort, I mean the Accelerator in general, but mm-hmm. maybe from your perspective, what does Accelerate UH do just to kind of get a level set, and and then maybe later we'll get, we'll talk a little bit about how it has it evolved over the last three cohorts. Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having us. Sure. Uh, happy to be here. And um, yeah, so Accelerate UH is, uh, is a venture accelerator. You know, we're a proof of concept center as well. So we're kind of this hybrid. Um, we're kind of tech transfer meets venture accelerator is a little tagline that, that we have. And, you know, from some of the research that, um, that we've done, you know, looking at different programs that are affiliated with public universities, uh, we're one of the unique ones because we actually invest in, you know, the entrepreneurs that are coming out of the university and the technology that's coming out of the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of have a sweet spot of trying to take the, you know, research and development. That's the amazing uh, work that's being done at the university by some world-renowned scientists, inventors, and trying to help them through this commercialization, valley of death, chasm is some terminology that's thrown around sometimes, mm-hmm. and get them from that research and development to development and commercialization. So, you know, we are a typical accelerator in terms of we invest twenty five or 50000 in whether you're phase one or phase two. That just depends on the stage of the company, and that's an exchange for equity, a 6% stake mm-hmm. for each. So uh, I can jump right into kind of how it's changed. There's some updates on our co- first two cohorts. Does that sound good? Sure, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, we have 11 cohort companies. Uh, we had one team that graduated from our phase one into the phase two, which is kind of that natural progression that we're looking for. And uh, they've been the early metrics that we follow. Obviously, uh, follow on funding is a big one. And so they've raised over four million dollars, which we're really proud of and is a really great early sign. And then they've generated over five hundred thousand dollars in actual revenue. So real customers, real products and real revenue. And um, so that's kind of some of the highlights of the um, of the first two cohorts. Uh, we just launched our third one, and we're excited to hear uh, some, you know, introduce some of our companies today. Now, okay, well, before, before we jump into that, I just wanted to ask you quickly. You said that the Accelerate uh, UH Accelerator program 
at UH as a public institution is is different from other public institutions? And uh, is it unique in the fact that the UH is one that actually invests the the money that the that UH came up with? I mean, where did that come from, and how did you convince them that there was a good investment to put in some of our startup startup yeah. companies? Uh, so I can answer that uh, in a couple couple parts because I think there's multiple questions within there. Um, the first thing that is the, the unique part is the fact that there's not many public universities that do take an equity stake in, and kind of invest in this. You know, we see it aligning the stakeholders in many ways. Um, you know, we want to do more early stream as well in terms of grant-based, and we, we work closely with PACE, mm-hmm. the Breakthrough Innovation Challenge, mm-hmm. the Business Plan Competition. So these are uh, kind of this continuum that we're fitting in this kind of seed level. And then you also have the Upside Fund, right, right. which is later stage, you know, UH, uh, UHIP that sits under the foundation. Um, and I, I can't speak for Omar and Tarek, but, you know, they, they were the ones that did all the heavy lifting and the hard work, and I kind of came along and, and helped, you know, push things through to the end zone. Um, so in terms of convincing the university and, and all the wonderful um, opportunities they had to do that, I, I wasn't in the room. I don't know. But I think um, that, you know, they see the opportunity and they were able to kind of showcase these other universities that are in that. I mean, we're one of the first 10, I think, maybe first five even mm-hmm. that is kind of transferring into this. Let's uh, work closely with the tech transfer office. And maybe we're not just going to do this model where it's royalties on you know, mm-hmm. uh, IP. You know, yeah, IP yeah. out and maybe taking some cues from some of the best universities in the world, like Stanford, mm-hmm. that has a model. Well, we're going to maybe be more laissez-faire now and and make our, you know, our money for giving businesses opportunities to thrive mm-hmm. with our entrepreneurs as well as the technology. UH brings in $400 million a year. And we have a bias to believe that UH is probably the biggest and best economic engine for our innovation sector in the state. So that's where the emphasis and focus is. And I think some of the early signs of success point to, you know, uh, what we're really proud of. Yeah. Good well, I, I mean, I, I think that the commercialization of UH research is a significant thing that the university has been working on through various channels for a long time. I think that this is a, a current and innovative and Hawaii Innovation Challenge you know, initiative. Yeah. And I do love that with all the different startup uh accelerator programs there's always a diversity within each cohort (laughs) so here we are with the uh, in the middle of the third cohort of accelerate uh and i wanted to know what a couple of at least a couple of the companies are up to let's start with you bianca so jet set esl i might have a couple of guesses but uh, why don't you introduce i mean and i would imagine in the early stages of the cohort you've been put through elevator pitch drills so yes. <laughs> how can you quickly, eloquently, and energetically summarize what Jet Set ESL brings to the world? So Jet Set ESL is a company where we focus on giving creative English lessons to developing countries where they may not have the opportunity to speak to native speakers. And we also travel to those companies to give teacher training and also camps for kids. So is it, uh, my memory was of a program called the JET Program. Is that, does that play any any inf- influence in the name of the startup? Perhaps? No, we actually got Jet Set ESL, my co-founder, oh, Jet, oh. Joe Pak. He actually helped come up with the name. We th- thought of a Jet Setter. Oh, I see. Right? I see. So Jet Set and then English as a second language, ESL. So uh, I can imagine, just like in any other aspect of life, the decentralization capability, the disruption capability of technology is great so the 
I would say the traditional way that English as a second language was taught might have been travel intensive or cost intensive uh, or even technology intensive. Where are the places where you are changing that picture to make it more accessible? Right now, our one of our main focuses is in Brazil. We were actually just in Brazil in July for a month. We did teacher training. We met a lot of different schools. And right now, I'm Skyping with students and teachers from those schools, as well as our Instagram. We went from zero to 16,000 followers on Instagram. We get messages every day, hey, we want English lessons, can you help us? So it's been steadily growing, and it's been really amazing. You know, I, I need to get some advice from you on how to increase my Instagram followers, so uh, maybe <laughs> we'll talk a little bit afterwards. But <laughs> Go to Brazil would be step one. Go to Brazil, okay. Uh, so how did you pick Brazil as being your first sort of market to enter? <laughs> Honestly, Instagram. Instagram. So I noticed that a lot of my followers were from Brazil and the Middle East. And I was like, okay, Brazil sounds a little bit <laughs> more safe to travel to right now for me. So, so you were following just some indications on your own personal Instagram? Or uh, the company's. The company's Instagram. The company's okay. Instagram. And I noticed it was teachers. So I put out a post saying, I want to do teacher training for teachers in Brazil. And I had a woman message me say, hey, I want Skype lessons. So I told her, hey, let's do a 20-minute free Skype lesson. And we ended up talking for three hours. Wow. And she was like, come to Brazil. You can stay at my house for a month. I'll help you promote. I'm a franchise owner. And that's how we started. I love it. It's like customer <laughs> discovery via Instagram, uh, strategic partnerships via Instagram. I mean, that's a that's a fascinating platform to make those connections. I'm looking at it right now. The username is traveling underscore English underscore teacher or traveling English teacher. Yes. And you're not kidding. 457 posts, but 16,000 followers is very impressive. That is very impressive. I'm going to have to def definitely take some lessons uh, uh, from Following you. Following now. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, now, Bianca. Uh, before we go over to Jonathan, I want to um, ask you, what is your connection to UH that got you into the Accelerate UH program? Actually, my co-founder, Joe, mm -hmm. he is a master's student right now. He's studying entomology and public health. Mm -hmm. And he really pushed for this program. At first, I was like, oh, I don't really know. Maybe. And he's like, no, we have to do this. Like, we're applying. We're doing this. And I'm so glad he did push us because it's been an amazing, amazing experience so far. And, you know, Luke, I, I guess I, I did want to mention that when we talked about the commercialization, uh, Accelerate UH is actually open to a fairly broad uh, community of people, even if you have not developed technology at UH. Yes, I appreciate you bringing that up. We, we um, you know, the entire UH community is, is what we can uh, accept into the program. Obviously, as I mentioned, the sweet spot is, you know, those doing research and, and um, faculty members or postdocs or whatnot. But from undergraduate to postdoc, alumni, Fantastic. You went to UH. Any Bert, did you go to UH? Right well, you know, I, UH? I did take a class at UH. Uh, does that? Well, I do. I we'll do, pull up your transcript. I took a class, we'll see if you and I actually teach a class. So maybe oh. the fact that I teach a class yeah. might qualify. Yep. He's a lecturer in the system. Of course, so. I don't want to go through your program because I'm, we're going to ask our guests here how <laughs> grueling it is. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready for another lashing. But, but so you're saying that it's pretty, um, I guess it's pretty open to anybody that has some affiliation with the university. Yep. I love that. Good. All right. Well, uh, Jonathan with DSAL Survival, um, also an intriguing sounding name. So what's your pitch? Oh, thanks, <clears throat> Ryan. Yes, it's, uh, it's a survival issue here. And uh, if you have ever seen the movie Unbroken or read the book, 
you know that Lou Zamperini spent uh, considerable time floating in a life raft in the Pacific Ocean with no water, he and his buddies. And uh, what we've developed is a technology. In fact, it was developed uh, here in Hawaii about 10 years ago and, and patented uh, that uh, allows uh, one to passively, that's without any any action of pumping or electricity or anything like that, to passively change uh, salt water into fresh water. And uh, huh. so it's designed as an ocean survival uh, uh, item that uh, you take with your boat, you put in your survival gear and your survival kit. And in case uh, you have nothing else, uh, you can use this to uh, generate a little bit of fresh water to keep you going until hopefully the Coast Guard or somebody else comes along and picks you up and brings you home. So I saw a picture of this. Uh, give us a sense of the quantity of water you can actually convert in, in, in the period of time that you, you might uh, need for that conversion. Okay. Uh, think of the, the device as it stands right now as a prototype. Uh, two uh, Ziploc, Ziploc bags uh, bonded together. Mm-hmm. One side, and in between them is a is a membrane that allows only water to pass through but nothing else. And so you fill one side with salt water and you stick it out in the sun and you just wait. And as time goes on, the water begins to pass through this membrane and end up on the other side. And so you might get, uh, let's say, a, a, a small amount of water, a cupful or let's say a mouthful of water at the time at the, at the way it stands right now in, the, in its current design. And uh, But that's sufficient to keep you going if you're not doing much else. Survival is the key word here, and that's why we call it desal survival mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you're not in here generating water to drink on your sailboat as you're sailing around the world. It's what happens when your desalinator breaks in your boat. Uh, you fall overboard, and all you have is your survival kit uh, in, your, in your life raft. And Seven uh, Eleven is uh, 5,000 miles away. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> now uh, – I know that you have a, uh, you're working with someone else, a yes. f- former guest on the show as well, Rob Yonover, right. who also came up with a simple yet critically important uh, piece of equipment that can help people get rescued when they're also lost at sea. So, can you tell me about that connection and and really yeah. how it, it brought you together? Right, right. That's a that's a really good question because I want to to uh, uh, add one thing at the introduction, and that is I'm a co-founder. Uh, my other co-founder is Rob Yonover, Dr. Robert Yonover. And uh, Rob and I have been working together for about, I'm going to say, 15, 20 years on this um, problem of detection of people who are lost, the sea and rescue, sea rescue uh, uh, a problem. And uh, Rob developed the streamer technology, which is really brilliant. It's a long orange streamer, about 8 inches wide, but maybe 20, 30 feet long, and it's rolled up in a little tiny cylinder, much like a flare would be. And uh, but it, it uh, when it unfurls in the water, it's structured in such a way that it doesn't twist and doesn't get bent and it doesn't you know it always stays straight out. And that's really unique because if you're a Coast Guard guy in an air, you know airplane flying at three thousand feet, looking down into the ocean, looking for somebody who's lost. Straight lines are not natural things. So if you see a straight line, your eye is going to be brought to it. And if it's an orange straight line, you're going to say, boy, that sure isn't anything natural in the ocean, and and it's designed to attract your attention. Of course, the streamer works both in land and ocean Mm -hmm. and whatever. So Rob and I have been talking about uh, rescue technologies and survival technologies off and on over the years. And when we uh, heard that the 
Accelerate UH program came up, we uh, we said, hey, let's uh, try to get into that because it might provide us the discipline mm-hmm. that we need to make this product go forward. Now, one thing, I, I, you, you can't see me, folks, but I've got gray hair. So one thing Accelerate UH is doing is it's showing that you can teach old dogs new tricks. <laughs> and uh, Rob and I have been trying to commercialize this stuff for a long time, and what I find absolutely remarkable is that the technique and the structure and discipline that they are promoting and using is just right on. I I can't use any other word than that. It is right down the line, and I'm so excited to be able to to, to work right in, in this thing. I can totally understand that for sure. Now, um, so his uh, Rob's uh, innovation was Sea Rescue Streamer. I just saw him last week over at a Blue Startups event, and you know he said, well, we're on Amazon, but we really want to increase that market, and you really want to find, say, large-scale purchaser of that product. But one thing that I liked about Sea Rescue Streamer and what I'm, I'm wondering about D-Cell uh, Survival is that the product itself, I mean, certainly the technology being developed is is took a long time and took a lot of research, but is the product itself expensive, or is it more, again, just a matter of finding the market for a relatively inexpensive product? That's a really good question, because um, in the context of this Accelerate UH and discovering markets and what's the minimum viable product, we uh, want to make this the lowest cost uh, type product that you can get out there. In other words, something that a ocean-going person, uh, a mariner, a professional uh, seaman, uh, even fishermen would be uh, interested in buying and putting in their uh, safety equipment and their survival equipment so they don't leave home without it, so to speak. And, uh, and, and Rob and I are working on that, trying to figure out what's the best way to get that into the market. And so we're, we're a young company, I, I want to point out, is that Bianca, just wonderful. You know, she's really right in there doing great stuff. Uh, we're, a, we're a company. I'll say we're not even a company yet. We're still trying to get incorporated uh, to uh, to go forward. And, and uh, the nice thing about uh, this program is that it's helping us figure out how to do that so that we don't have to make all the mistakes over again that we've made before. <laughs> so, so, Jonathan, before we get into the, you know, the how did you actually get in the you know sort of the application process, but uh, what is it that's unique about the filter ah, that yeah. is positioning desal survival uh, sort of in the marketplace? Okay, yeah, the the filter, the membrane, mm-hmm. if there is a thing called an osmosis membrane, it just allows water. There's all kinds of membranes that do this, but this is a relatively inexpensive one. It's a commercial product, and our intellectual property is just simply taking this. Uh, material, which was intended for other purposes, and applying it to the desalination process. So it was, uh, you know, the whole point is trying to figure out, or we figured out, how to take something that was intended for another purpose, Mm -hmm. apply it to a survival situation, make it work, and uh, now we're trying to figure out, after the technology's been done and demonstrated, how do you make it into a product? Yeah, itself? so you know, Rob Yanover, I mean, he's always been kind of the the master at uh, patents and you know yes. licensing intellectual property. So I'm sure you've got a patent pending. Oh no, this? no, we've had a patent. In fact, Rob is the primary patent holder on this uh-huh. on this for about ten years. And this uh, to go back up a little bit, this technology was developed under uh, state money. So it's a this is a Hawaii uh, based product, a mm-hmm, Hawaii based mm-hmm. invention, a Hawaii everything. 
and um, it has just been sitting, I would say dormant, is that we've been trying to figure out how to get it going uh, for the last 10 years, and all of a sudden, bango. Good, good, <laughs> good. Great. Now, we want to hear about uh, the actual application process because we have a couple of companies here that great ideas. They wanted to get a part, get in, you know, involved with uh, Accelerate UH. And what we want to hear from you, Luke, is you know, how did that process actually take place? But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Luke Tucker, Bianca Tubolino, and Nate, uh, and Jonathan Grady about Accelerate UH. What are some of the key benefits of going through the program? How do the cohort members feel at this point? What's the midterm grade? You can give us a call if you've got questions at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. From the neighbor islands, you're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks to Taylor Swift, gal pals are all the rage. But female friendships had a real moment in the 18th century, too. They believed that women would be physically and mentally predisposed to being good at friendship, to cultivate friends and form emotionally significant bonds. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. On the next On Being, The New Yorker's Adam Gopnik on the evolution of spiritual life in a secular age. I think that the negation of God doesn't negate our morality, but the negation of God doesn't supply us with morality either. That those are things that we have to make up for ourselves, and the only way we can make them is to remake them. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Luke Tucker, Bianca Tubolino, and Jonathan Grady about the latest Accelerate UH cohort. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we were contemplating the process of, of applying to Accelerate UH and Luke, uh, you know, you've seen many companies come through the door. Uh, I want to hear about what the process is and perhaps what maybe uh, elevated uh, these uh, fine companies to your attention. Sure. So first and foremost, we have a rolling application period, or process rather, and uh, anybody can go on our website and fill out an application. Uh, it's about 18 questions, takes just five, seven minutes to fill it out. Mm. That's kind of the first cut to at least you know let us know you exist, and then we'll follow up to, as an invitation to the long form as we prepare for our, either our spring or fall cohorts. So that usually happens you know January, February time period for the spring, and then say August, September, maybe early October for the fall. And uh, after that, we do send you a long form, which I think they could probably attest that it is quite detailed. <laughs> a long form. Uh, there's, it's, uh, yeah, in name and uh, <laughs> time it takes to fill it out. It's very thorough. And uh, that's the first real cut that, um, you know, we will then follow up with an interview to select applicants and bring them in, interview the team, screening interview process. Then the board actually ultimately will present the, mm-hmm. the final companies. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a, do you have a, a uh, lot of companies applying. I mean, what's the general uh, percentage that uh, you know apply versus get in? Sure. 
So we've had, uh, over the last three cohorts, uh, you know, coming up on 200 total applicants. Uh, our percentage acceptance to, you know, what those 11 companies would be, you know, comes down to, in you know, the 8 to 10% range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, I guess, you know, having the affiliation with UH kind of guarantees a pretty close alignment with, with Hawaii, mm-hmm. I, would, I would venture to guess. Uh, and, and that's a good sort of investment into our local companies. I noticed that um, other accelerators open, have opened it up to a, a much broader cross-section of local companies as well as, as mainland companies. So is that one, one of the things that you sort of pride yourself about uh, over is the fact that you know, it's really focused on Hawaii companies? Well, sure. I, I guess we don't necessarily look at it that way. We're obviously uh, very proud to be representing the University of Hawaii and, and focused on, like you said, the incredible innovation that's going on. Uh, I think one cool thing about all the different accelerators is the different niches we do have, uh, and from energy to blue, uh, GVS, uh, and ourselves. I think uh, you know we've had companies that have gone through blue that have gone through us, and mm-hmm. so we're really proud of that. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. And of course, uh, you know we're talking to. Luke Tucker uh, from Accelerate UH, also with uh, Bianca Tubolino from DSAL. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jet Set ESL, and Jonathan Grady from DSAL Survivor. We're talking about startups, entrepreneurship, Accelerate, and the ex, um, and the Accelerator program in general. If you have a comment or question, uh, give us a call nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. From Hawaii Kai, we want to welcome Brian to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, and sure. thanks for uh, all you're doing for the program. So I have a family member that was affiliated with one of the blue uh, cohorts, and uh, he is currently in the Valley right now trying to raise some VC, having left Hawaii because he just couldn't find the critical mass of VC here necessary to scale a program into a sustainable business model. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do the accelerators look at the back end and what's necessary to create a sustainable model by perhaps better leveraging what the Sultan Brothers are doing or others maybe with the banking industry or some other industry to create a larger pool of available capital so that folks that start business in Hawaii can stay in Hawaii? That's a fantastic question. Excellent question. And I think, uh, Luke, you, you alluded to this uh, referencing sort of that that valley of that valley of death. I mean, which is basically, you can get startup uh, capital, maybe some angel money, some accelerator money, but then there's this period of time when you actually have to go into production and start to do the really heavy lifting, and that's when you have some larger funding requirements. Uh, maybe the venture uh, funds start to kick in. What have you seen that uh, addresses Brian's? concerned that maybe there is a a lack of that kind of level of funding here in Hawaii. Sure. Um, So I can speak to what Accelerate UH, you know, we have follow-on funding opportunities for all of our companies. So we can invest up to $100,000 if you raise, you know, um, from an external investor, a lead investor, which is pretty typical for different accelerators as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, from the upside fund in terms of the UH continuum, you know, they can invest, you know, 500 to even above that in terms of 500K and more. So I think with that kind of um, yeah, ecosystem, that's the seed stage uh, to grow into the Series A. I think there are some, not a lot, of companies right, that right, have right, raised, right. So, but yeah, there are a, some. So upside will get you to that, that uh, seed, seed stage funding. And you said 500000 to maybe a million bucks. But when you start to get serious about getting uh, levels of funding to the degree of the tens of millions of dollars, I mean, that's 
you know A series funding what uh, what choices do companies have to uh, look to in Hawaii sure well in terms of uh, active venture capitalists you know I can um, you know talk about so, uh, startup capital ventures uh, pyramid yards fund mm-hmm. um, you have emblem um, you know, there's there are a number of funds that are actively looking. You have Epic Ventures, Arsenal. You know, these are through uh, different ones that are required to look here that have, have either state money. Um, and, you know, we have that ties to Asia. We have companies that have, I know, raised a significant amount of capital from from the Valley even. And there are teams that go back and forth. So I think there's uh, there are challenges to be sure. You know, we are a small community um, in, in general when you look at broad numbers. But mm-hmm. it's still... Like when you look at maybe where it was five years ago mm-hmm. or more, you know, I think we can judge ourselves on the progress we've made as well as the investment in the community in a real dollar way. You know, we have state and uh, government agencies that are supporting this uh, seed stage and the huge emphasis on education to build up this rising tide raises all ships. You know, that's the stage we live in. And, you know, there's um, I think there's a lot to be said about what we've done. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, great question, Brian. Thanks for calling that in. We want to go to uh, Sharon from Makiki. Thanks for calling. Uh, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. I'd like to jump a couple steps ahead, and that has to do with marketing. Doing a short video that you could position internationally with regard to rescue groups, parachutists, people who are doing mountain climbing, um, any of those kinds of things, your scouts, your Red Cross, people who do retrieval, with regard to the streamer, to start at the far end with a short video that can be placed and picked up okay. and then spread out. Sharon, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I, I, I think I've seen some videos from Rob. I mean, Rob... Rob is a dynamic, <laughs> dynamic salesperson. So yes, on their website they have their very short, their very dynamic pitch video. Like, you, not only do you want to buy a sea rescue, you might want to buy a, a floor cleaner from him and something else, and maybe and some ice if you're <laughs> in, in, in Alaska. But that's a that's a very good idea, certainly to to make something that can be passed around and shared. Well, so that's a great question. So, um, Jonathan, I mean, from your standpoint, at what point in time? Do you think you might be ready to actually do some marketing of your product? Uh, you know, this is a very good uh, point uh, brought up, and uh, what we're at a very early stage right now. We're just now in the in the, what I'll call the customer discovery, trying to understand who the users are, who the customers are for the particular desalination unit, and uh, I think that there is lots of room for us to leverage the streamer uh, approach and mm-hmm. this idea of having. You know, videos and, and whatever I think is going to be symbiotic in the sense that what we're learning from Accelerate UH, Rob will be able to put into uh, the streamer and combine these two things together and go forward. But it, as far as the desalination, we're very early mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the business, and so uh, uh, I don't have much to say except that it's a good idea, and we'll certainly take that uh, as, a, as a good perspective because wow. we're trying to discover sure. what do people want and Thank you. I'm, can I put that down, Luke, in my There you uh, go. Put it in your, your <laughs> weekly report. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's you hard get some to, free marketing support. Right, that's all you right. get. Yeah. It's hard to believe how time flies, so I already want to get to a quick question because the experience of the uh, uh, co-founders in a uh, accelerator are always different but always in, enlightening. So, Bianca, um, you, you're now part of the cohorts. You come in. You sit down. You 
you are doing marketing. I mean, you are all over Instagram, all of these followers, people hosting you to come and do your customer <laughs> discovery. But surely there must have been some feedback that you received that surprised you, that perhaps even put you back on your heels. I, or has it been all smooth sailing for your startup? Have you guys ever seen the TV show Shark Tank? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm in a 15-week Shark Tank <laughs> type of show, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Because going into it, you think you have all the answers, right? You're like, oh, yeah, we went to Brazil. We have these customers coming in. And then they really make you dissect your business and your business model. And at the last meeting, they were like, okay, you need to be more focused. And Joe and I were like, we were focused. <laughs> we, we thought we were focused. And we really had to sit for a couple of days and be like, okay, How can we become more focused? And after talking to my dad and just kind of reflecting on their suggestions, it's actually helped us a lot. We've actually started pinpointing more opportunity to grow as a business, and it's made our interview questions better, and it's actually helped us get more customers as well. So Mm -hmm. it's been amazing. Bianca's been an all-star. She's interviewed, I think, almost 30 people already. So Fantastic. That's good. (laughs) Well, Jonathan, I mean, because you brought it up, I certainly would have never mentioned or even noticed the gray hair. But I would say that when people think of of an accelerator cohort, they probably think of something they've seen on HBO or something about Silicon Valley and Mike Mark Zuckerberg 10 years ago. so there's there's certainly when you say you're open to being a, an old dog, possibly learning new tricks. How about you? I mean, you come into this environment, uh, new experience, new idea that you're trying to commercialize. Um, what really set off a light bulb in your head? That's a that's a good question, and and, and again, uh, I'm I've been in Hawaii for almost thirty five years, and uh, we started technology transfer out of the University of Hawaii. In 1984 to 1988 wow. uh, uh, time period, and uh, there was very little to uh, support within the state, and and trying to get a loan uh, was uh, <laughs> that wasn't even heard of. Okay, mm, I mean right. that was the whole point. There was there was nothing, and so we had to make it up as we went along, and we learned all the bad ways of doing things because we made all the mistakes, and uh, coming to this program and. and Coming uh, this program really changed the way I looked at developing a business, and I've actually developed a couple of businesses and sold them, and and uh, been chief science officer and others that have been quite successful, but all of them in ha- have been making the same kind of mistake of not understanding the customers up front and understanding what your product is and where you're going to go with it, and when I saw this at uh, uh, happening at Accelerate UH, I just about fell off my chair. Because when I started doing the customer discovery, what Rob and I thought were going to be the customers for this turned out to be, I think, very different. And as we've discussed with the uh, advisors at Accelerate UH, uh, Peter Rowan in particular, pointing out, well, you know, there are all these other uh, areas of market segments that you might not think about, but how about thinking about them? One of them is survival people in the uh, on the on the land, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like wow, we never thought of that, and that's uh, that's the kind of stuff that is really important at the very very start of a business is to understand who your customers are because we have great technology, and that's why we've been kind of struggling for ten years, I and mean, we haven't been paying a lot of attention to it, but we've been struggling. What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? How do we how do we do anything with it? And it 
it's just all falling in place now. So, so Luke, tell me, uh, you know, you have uh, all these young companies, uh, uh, Jonathan included, and you know, when they when they come in, there's probably some standard things you want them to get up to speed with. But how do you customize your program so that the needs of each of the individual companies are addressed as as each one starts to basically uncover what it is that they need to focus in on? Sure. Well, first of all, I'll say I'm, I'm obviously very impressed and beaming with pride for our, our companies. Uh, they've done all this in two and a half weeks, so we're still very early, and I uh, can imagine where they'll be in four weeks. But um, to answer your question, um, you know, we, we take a significant amount of time to actually meet with them one-on-one. We have regular office hours um, and where those kind of tailored milestones. So we, we do um, kind of a tranche-based funding approach where we actually sit down and we say, what do you want to accomplish over the next four months? We review it together, and then we actually set your milestones, and you're going to be held accountable to those, both from uh, growing your business as well as, you know, from a financial incentive standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's something that we are hands-on, you know, more intensively involved in the, you know, day-to-day type of activities that they're doing, in you know, not day-to-day in terms of operational but uh, really directly involved. They have an online software where they put all their customer interviews. Uh, I comment on them. We comment on them directly, generally. And so, um, you know, we take a significant amount of time to work closely with them. And we're kind of in these Saturday sessions for six hours. We have Angel, uh, we have our Angel in Residence, Peter Rowan, who uh, you mentioned, and different Angel investors that come in, give them feedback, as well as our core team. Mm-hmm. So how much longer does this uh, cohort run? So we're a 16-week program. We're mm-hmm. about, you know, in the third week, so... Yeah, we'll have holiday breaks. Obviously, I was about we're not going to make them come on the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. If they show up, then you know we'll we'll definitely applaud them. But uh, all right, uh, yeah. well, Bianca, if somebody is interested in investing in uh, Jet Set ESL or at least learning more, where can they go? www.jetsetesl.com. Fantastic, Great. Jonathan. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, Decel Survival? I think the best thing to do is to contact Luke Tucker right now. Okay. Since, okay. Uh, we, <laughs> website. That's on the checklist. Well, okay. that's, well we have the UR, We have the the domain name. We just haven't gotten the website. Probably in a week or two, we'll be we'll be there. Exactly. Right. Well, we have a commission based on that. So. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, we'll put well, up all the, the 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 links on the show notes tonight. Luke Tucker is the venture associate over at Sultan Ventures, and of course runs operations for Accelerate UH. And Bianca Tubolino is the co-founder of Jet Set ESL, and Jonathan Grady is the co-founder of D-Cell Survival. We want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about sensor technology and open hardware at SOEST. Of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at ByteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. I love Twitter. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovic. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Moving Panoramas and a song called One. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.